Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here. It is our hope and prayer that the message you hear today will help you connect deeply with the love of God we know in Jesus. Also, we'd love to connect with you so that we can share life and faith together. If you'd like more information about this church family, or if you want us to contact you, you can visit our website, fumcm.org, or you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at FUMC Borough. If you're looking for a place to belong, we have that place for you in one of our classes or small groups, as a part of one of our mission teams, or in either our modern or traditional worship services, which both meet at 1015 on Sunday mornings. First United Methodist Church is a warm and welcoming community of people committed to the idea of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. We hope this week's message helps you in your own personal journey towards knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in your life. You may not know this, but uh, we Methodist pastors are uh, thoroughly inspected uh, in our five to ten year journey toward ordination. We go through lots of tests. The three movements go something like this. First, are they called? Are they called to ordained ministry? The second is this, uh, do they have gifts? Do they have the tools for ministry? And then the third test, can they use those tools for ministry? We we write so much. We have to answer many, many questions. We do interviews with something called the Board of Ordained Ministry, which is a terrifying group of people. Not really, but they can feel that way. We also have to go for three different psychological examinations. You have to pass all three before they'll let you through. You can repeat those if necessary, but you have to pass all three. One of the questions that uh, is asked along the way that really surprised me is, why do we need a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? It's a good question, but I felt like it was sort of silly for them to be asking. I, I wanted to answer that question in the same way that we now answer our three-year-old Annabelle when she asks profound life questions like that, because I said so. That should be sufficient enough. Mama said you need a Savior. Daddy says you need a Savior. Chad in the second grade said you needed a Savior. The preacher in confirmation class said you needed a Savior. What more do you need to know? You need a Savior. That's just how it is. Surely that's enough. If that's not enough, just look in the mirror Board of Ordained Ministry, just look in the mirror. Look at the way you drive and the attitude that you have on the interstate. Just look at that for an example. Listen to the little voice in your head that gets so irritated with people who do stupid things. And then listen for the ugly things that you say just loud enough for the slowest waiter you've ever had to hear when you're sitting at your table at the restaurant. 
I wanted to write, just look in the mirror, Board of Ordained Ministry. If y'all can't see why you need a Savior, you need to take off your rose-colored glasses and look again. Because it's there. It's all there. We had lots of fun in our little groups talking about the best way to answer this question. But what became strikingly obvious the more we talked was that we had very different perspectives on our need for a Savior and the nature of our need. It's a little bit generational. You go back in time 50 years and, and we all can remember, well, we some can remember, uh, how everyone pretty much agreed that sin was a thing and it was a problem, right? You remember sin was a problem. Christian guilt was at the forefront of our culture. We carried it on our sleeve. It was with us all the time, a reminder that we were just sort of sorry people walking around. You could grab a stranger on the street, and you could begin talking to that stranger about Jesus. Immediately, they would begin confessing their sins and pleading for the grace of God. You could do that 50 years ago. Most of the time, that's what would happen. I grew up with that mindset myself. Probably not the best for your self-esteem and all as you come through life. But there is something to be said for a healthy awareness of your own brokenness. Today, you grab a stranger on the street, you get arrested. That's how it works. Don't grab strangers on the street. Not at all. But if you do, if you talk with somebody on the street, you discover that that old Christian guilt has receded into the background of society. Thank goodness it has receded somewhere. The only trouble is forgiveness and grace are not as necessary when you already feel like you are genuinely a good, kind person. Why do I need a Savior with all that talk about blood and sacrifice and all of that stuff? I'm doing pretty good myself. Though I do like your Jesus, I just don't think I need the Savior part. The way we answer the question, why do I need a Savior, can be very different depending on our perspective, our generation, and our upbringing. And yet, the ultimate answer is the same. We hear it in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith. Saved from what to what? The answer is in verse 1. For you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. We are saved from death to life. To life. With the enemy, the captor, being our own trespasses and this thing called Sin. Have you heard of that before, this thing called sin? Trespasses in the Greek is an interesting word. It means a falling away, a lapse, an unintended misstep, a mistake. Trespasses are oops. Anybody ever made an oops in life? That's a trespass, an oops. Sin is different. It's a different word. In the Greek, it's hamartia. Can you say that? Well, you didn't say it very well. Say it again here. Hamartia. That's good. See, they said it really well back here. That's excellent. 
Hamartia is different. It is an intentional, willful disobedience. It works something like this. Annabelle, don't eat that cookie. Don't eat that cookie, Annabelle. I'm sorry, Daddy, I didn't mean to. It just fell in my mouth. <laughs> hamartia, that's hamartia. It's different than trespass. Why do we need a Savior aside from trespasses and hamartia and cookies? <laughs> there is some kind of a death at work in the world. It's not just a physical death. It is the death that comes from not being the people of love God has created us to be. It is the cancer of selfishness that chokes the life out of us. And apart from God's grace, it is at work even in the kindest of souls. We have given it a name. We call it sin. Why do we need a Savior? Because sin, selfishness, is killing us all. Mine, yours, ours, and theirs. It is all tangled up together, and it is impossible to disentangle. We are trying to understand our identity, to remember who we are. We have to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember the story about Adam and Eve? Who remembers Adam and Eve? We go all the way back to the beginning. Everything is right and good. The people God created are free to choose how they will live. They are free to choose that. For the longest time, they choose to love God and each other and to hold the whole of God's creation with an open hand. For the longest time, one day, a sinister voice comes in the garden and that voice asks a great question. The first question, do you love God? Do you love God? Oh, yes. Yes, we love God very much. Do you want to be like God? The voice asks. Do you want to be like God? Oh, yes. God is good all the time. All the time. Right. Right. Then the voice asks another question. Do you want to be God? Do you want to be God? To put yourself in the highest of all places. Oh my, we hadn't thought about that at all. Let's see what it tastes like to put self at the heart of everything we do, think, and say Let's see what happens when we hold God's gifts with a clenched fist instead of an open hand. <laughs> it tastes like security, but it's not, and it won't ever be. Right off, Adam and Eve made some clothes to cover up their intimacy and their vulnerability from each other and from God. God comes to walk with them in the cool of the evening, and they are hiding, hiding from God. Why would they hide from God? The dark secret of their selfishness spills out across creation. You can't keep secrets from God. God is like your mama. You can't keep secrets from your mama either. 
God's heart is broken. God's beautiful creation is shattered. Death overtakes the world. God's beloved children choose death over life because it seemed more secure. Now, we lift our eyes from the Scriptures and we look at the world around us. We see the consequences of this selfishness and sin that were never, ever a part of God's dreams for humanity. Creation suffers mightily from it. Oh my goodness, every day, not everything that happens in this yet-to-be-fully-restored creation is God's plan. Tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes, they are not. Cancer and sickness, disease, addiction, they are not from God. These are the consequences of the death, the brokenness which entered the world, which Paul describes for us in Ephesians chapter 2. Still today, we are born with this brokenness. It is a kind of a family curse passed down from Adam and Eve. We arrive in this world tilted toward selfishness. The image of God in which we are all created has been so badly shattered that it is at times almost unrecognizable. If you don't believe me about that, just wander down there to the nursery and watch the babies have to learn how to share. They have to learn. We have to teach them how to share. The broken world in which we live cultivates this cancer of selfishness. Some people, by God's grace, even apart from their awareness of Jesus, are more able than others to, to whip this cancer into almost remission. But it is still there very much a part of a larger system of brokenness which holds creation hostage to a way of being rooted in fear, death, and selfishness. Why do we need, why do we need a Savior? Because we would like to be disentangled. We would like to be set free. We would like to be made whole, to be healed from this cancer. All of us, all of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were, by nature, children of wrath like everyone else. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why do we need a Savior? Because God is putting everything back right and God wants us to be part of that solution. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life, here we find, I think, the most incredible truth of the gospel. 
what God is doing in the world. God is reaching down into the middle of the nastiest, most complicated mess, loving all the people who are making the mess and tenderly showing them how to stop making the mess. It is slow, painful, delicate work, but God does it anyway because God loves us that much. To say it another way, it really doesn't matter where you think you fall on the spectrum of sin. What is most important is that you understand you are part of the problem of the world except for the fact that God has made you part of the solution in Jesus. At the heart of it all is this notion that God invites everybody into the solution. Though we be a broken down mess, God loves us anyway. The hardest part is that we are all broken down messes from the least to the greatest and God loves us equally anyway. It's really hard to live with that kind of good news in our hearts because it calls us to the side of one another even when we don't like one another. It calls us to love one another, to hold one another, even when we disagree profoundly. It calls us to walk humbly with God and with each other when all we can see is the next little place to put our foot. It is really hard to actually live this kind of good news, but it is the only good news worth living. Why do you need a Savior? Why do you need a Savior? Because God is putting everything back right. And through that Savior, God has called you off the bench and into the game. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.